Imagine it's 1936, rather than 2023. That was the year my mother was born. It was also the middle of the Depression, and a dust bowl hit my home state of Oklahoma. It was also the year that set almost every heat index record, with temperature records that stand today, even before there was too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. FDR was running for re-election. If my mother had lived, she would have turned 87. So this is really not that long ago. Lots of people alive today were alive 87 years ago. It was a strange time, and strange to look back on. It's hard to believe, but corporate America was heavily investing in Nazi Germany, considered a European powerhouse. The Nazi party was seen as fostering an economic miracle. The Summer Olympics were held in Berlin. Leading Americans applauded the discipline and focus of Adolf Hitler. I know that sounds strange now, but it was true then. In fact, there were many prominent Americans who supported the Nazis, and Nazis had great influence in Washington, D.C., on college campuses, and in the boardrooms of American companies. Nazi Germany received huge investments from Americans in 1936, second only to Great Britain and well ahead of France or any other nation. Inside Germany, while the United States and most of the world was nationalizing industry, the Germans were privatizing companies even though the government maintained strict control. This attracted foreign capital. Certainly, there were warnings of Nazi atrocities, particularly against the Jews, but the money poured in, both from investment and also from Americans buying German goods. Let me quote from the United States Holocaust Museum Encyclopedia. They said, as soon as Hitler assumed power in 1933, Americans had access to information about Nazis persecution of Jews. Although some Americans protested Nazism, there was no sustained nationwide effort in the United States to oppose the Nazi treatment of Jews. In other words, people knew of Nazi atrocities but still supported the Nazi economy with their consumption and even invested in German companies. Scholars agree that these investments were used to fund the German war machine. There was some small pushback with boycotts, but these were mostly ignored. Here's one, for humanity's sake, boycott German industry, don't buy German goods. Now I share all of this because it was a foolish thing to fund the Nazi war machine and millions of people paid for it with their lives. It was also foolish to invest in an enemy with whom we knew we would soon be at war. Can you imagine how those investors fared or how the companies that had grown dependent on Germany were crushed when war broke out? Sadly, this is not just a history lesson. We face a similar, if not greater, threat today. There is a repressive, evil government literally killing people to harvest their organs for transplant. That same nation is preparing to wage war on America and the world, and yet we're buying their goods and investing in their war machine. The parallels are simply amazing and appalling. Of course, I'm talking about the Chinese Communist Party and I'm comparing them to the Nazis in Germany. Now, I'm not attacking China or the Chinese people any more than I'm attacking the German people, but the regimes are evil. We were at war with Germany within five years of 1936. Now, according to a courageous Air Force General, Mike Minahan, who's the commander of the Air Mobility Command, we may not have that long with China, maybe two years. Can we learn from history? What happens if we go to war with China by 2025? Join me in the Economic War Room where we take a hard look at the likelihood for war, what it will do to your investments, and what we must do to protect America. Here's the question of the day. What happens if we go to war with China? Notice, I did not ask what happens if China goes to war against us. That's because China's been at war with us for at least a decade, maybe longer. 
It was in 2013 that Xi Jinping rose to power. Shortly afterward, it became official Chinese policy to de-Americanize the world. This was written in official CCP publication. Of course, the Washington Post immediately downplayed the story. Here's their headline from October 2013. Calm down, Washington. China doesn't really want to de-Americanize. Here are some quotes from the article. We can calm down on the threat to de-Americanize, though. China has shown little to no indication that it seriously wants to displace the United States as the global leader anytime soon, or even that it believes it could do this. Wow. Here's another quote that didn't age well. The mistake we often make here in Washington is seeing China's rise and assuming that the country's next goal will be to displace the United States as global leader. This wrongly assumes that Beijing thinks like Washington. That is a similar view of how the world works and a similar set of goals. It also wildly overstates China's actual power. Now, anyone following this program or reading any of my books or blogs knows this was simply naive and ignorant. We've been on this for 15 years with warnings, facts, and action plans. My cover story in The Counter-Terrorist was published in August 2011. The title is China at War with the USA? Five years ago, I published a blog series titled The Winds of War, which detailed just why and how we would soon be at war with China and also by proxy with Russia. Now, we'll put links to these posts in our economic battle plan. Here's a direct quote that I wrote in 2018. I said, China has been preparing for a war footing. There are multiple clues that when pieced together suggest that a combination attack plan using economic pressure, technology, and physical invasion to assert Chinese dominance in Asia and ultimately over the planet. It is no longer acceptable to naively overlook this reality. That same year, I testified in Congress. Take a look at what I said. I believe that this is a part and, and uh my colleagues mentioned the Made in China 2025 policy, which is designed to have uh, Chinese, China self-sufficient in, in certain industries and areas. I believe that that, too, is a form of economic warfare, and I believe all of this fits with a part of the 100-year marathon. I brought a book from my friend uh, Mike Pillsbury, who wrote about the 100-year marathon, and I would point you to the fact that in 1949, uh, the People's Republic of China was formed, and 100 years from that period would be 2049. This is an important date to recognize because the Chinese have learned from the Tiananmen Square incident in, in 1989 that 20 years later they were able to host the Olympics in Beijing. So the belief, as I understand it in China, is that within two decades the, you can remove a massacre and a horrific event from the world's consciousness and memory Therefore, if the goal is to have uh, essentially the largest economy and the most powerful position in the world by 2049, the idea would be that you have to be completed with your horrific activity by the year 2029. So I would suggest that over the next decade, we will see a more aggressive China than we have seen in the past. Not to brag, but I was 100% right. If you haven't seen the Chinese belligerence, you're not paying attention. Even the FBI admits that the COVID pandemic was likely caused by a leak from a Chinese lab in Wuhan. The Chinese knew that, and they hid it from the world. They also let it spread unnecessarily and slowed the world's response. It's taken a long time to come to grips with the truth. China is at war with us. So far, it's been a Cold War. We open the show with a comparison to 1936 Germany. But war may actually be closer now than it was then. Even the New York Times has noticed the risk of war with China. On February 27th, they published a piece titled, A War with China Would Be Unlike Anything Americans Faced Before. 
A major war in the Indo-Pacific, they said, is probably more likely than at any time since World War II. The most probable spark is a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. They talk about using cyber, media warfare, EMP, supply chain, everything else at their disposal. All of this is very real, and yet the American people are ignoring the threat just like they ignored Nazi Germany in the 30s. We need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about what war with China would mean for America and what we should be doing about it right now. Before the break, we explained how China is at war with us. And the Chinese are getting upset with anyone who recognizes this reality. Apparently, we're supposed to roll over and let them do what they want in Asia and around the world. And if we don't, it means war. This is becoming increasingly obvious to anyone who cares to look. Consider this quote from Zero Hedge on March 7th. In an unexpectedly sharp escalation of diplomatic rhetoric, China's foreign minister said that the U.S. should change its distorted attitude towards China, or conflict and confrontation will follow, while defending the country's stance on the war in Ukraine and defending its close ties with Russia. Let me translate that for you. He was saying, let us do what we want or we will start a hot war. In that same speech, the foreign minister was extremely clear about intentions for Taiwan. He was also clear about challenging the American dollar. Let me ask this question. If it were 1936 and you knew what was about to happen in World War II, would you want to buy German goods or invest your pension with the Nazis? Sounds ridiculous, but that is exactly what Americans are doing right now with communist China. Here's a chart from Statista using Bureau of Economic Affairs data that shows American direct investment into China since the year 2000. This doesn't reflect all the hidden investments made. This is just the official listed foreign direct investment and it totals over $1 trillion, growing by more than $100 billion per year. Some people estimate that we've invested upwards of two to three trillion total when you count stock purchases plus all the hidden ways that China extracts capital through global index funds. American investment in China actually increased in recent years. Consider this from foreignpolicy.com. They said, in 2019, nearly $400 billion of new investment into Chinese equities was driven by changes in allocations within benchmark indexes with American investors accounting for more than a third of these massive portfolio flows. Similarly, global bond indexes that have started adding Chinese government bonds to their benchmarks accounted for an additional investment flow of more than 100 billion into China. Put together, these major shifts in funds allocations could automatically grow U.S. portfolio investment in Chinese companies and government securities to more than $1 trillion by the end of 2021 without the active consent or knowledge of most Americans. Think about that. We're ramping up Chinese investment while they're ramping up for war. Does this seem wise? The worst part is that we've been funding their innovation. As an example, consider this February 2023 report for the Center for Security and Emerging Technology. They said, based on available data in Crunchbase between 2015 and 2021, 167 U.S. investors participated in 401 investment transactions, or 17% of global investment transactions, into Chinese AI companies. Collectively observed transactions involving U.S. investors total $40.2 billion invested into 251 Chinese AI companies, which accounts for 37% of the $110 billion raised by all Chinese AI companies. 
That's just for artificial intelligence. 37% of the money invested comes from deals involving American investors. And 91% of that is venture capital money, which may not be counted in the totals that we shared earlier. Bottom line, we are funding China to the tune of trillions of dollars total, and much of that is helping China get ahead of us. Isn't it bad enough that we also let them steal our technology? Do we also have to fund their doing that? Representative Mike Gallagher chairs the House Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the U.S. and Chinese Communist Party. Here's what he recently said. He said, there's a fundamental contradiction in our China policy today. The U.S. government is placing increasing scrutiny on technology transfer and tightening export controls in concert with our allies to counter malign CCP-directed companies. At the same time, however, our government is providing a de facto green light to the unlimited capitalization of many of these companies and others like them in strategic technology sectors. Translation? We pretend to be countering the CCP, but we aren't putting our money where our mouth is. No wonder the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation recently warned, wake up America. China is overtaking the United States in innovation output. It used to be that China was relegated to imitation, but after stealing so much American tech and getting so much investment, they've nearly caught up and may soon surpass us. That validates what we're seeing with AI. The scary thing is that China is directly using these capabilities to expand their war machine. Consider this front page headline from Daily Mail of March 5th of this year. China increases its military budget by 7.1%, $230 billion, to boost combat preparedness for major tasks amid fears it will launch an invasion of Taiwan. That's a huge increase but it is only the official number. The actual defense budget is much larger. Remember, by law, every Chinese company must serve the CCP, and that means the People's Liberation Army as well. Thus, the defense budget can literally be any percentage of the economy that the CCP wants, regardless of the official numbers. And we're seeing the impact. A few years ago, many in the Pentagon, even close friends, told me that China was not and would never be a threat. They pointed to America's vastly superior naval power. Without a blue water navy, they said, China could never rival the United States. My response was that China would steal our tech using unrestricted warfare and then try to overtake our navy. Sometimes I hate being right. So here we are, according to our own Secretary of the Navy, as reported by Fox News on February 23rd this year, it's no secret that the People's Republic of China seeks to upend our dominance on the oceans across the globe. The People's Liberation Army Navy has added 100 combatants to its fleet, a naval buildup that is a key component of its increasingly aggressive military posture globally. Secretary Carlos del Toro noted that China currently possesses approximately 340 ships and is seeking to add 100 more by 2030. This possible shift in naval dominance, Del Toro warned, could begin to reshape the world order. Now, according to intelligence officer Grant Newsham, quoted in the Epoch Times, the Chinese shipyards have been launching at a rate of five to one over the last decade. So for every warship we put in the water, they put five, and they have a much bigger shipbuilding capacity than we do. We have allowed ours to wither, and the Chinese have built theirs up just at a breathtaking speed. We have 295 naval ships and the Chinese have 340. Our fleet is shrinking while theirs is expanding and we're financing it. 
And for those who doubt China's intentions, just think back to the spy balloon that they sent across America recently. That was a part of a hybrid warfare unit, according to Epoch Times. This unit was created to centralize space warfare, cyber warfare, electronic warfare, information warfare, communications, and psychological warfare capabilities. Now, they published a book in 1999 called Unrestricted Warfare. It details exactly what's taken place over the past 25 years. And I was a part of a team that published the book Warning Order to Combat It. We're gonna need to take another break. When we come back though, let's talk about the steps that we must take to protect America and to protect your investments. Before the break, we shared the bad news that China is using our money to build their war fighting capabilities. In some ways, they've passed us and we've been too blind to notice. But is it too late? No, but we must act quickly. I'm gonna share with you six things that we should do at the national and international level, and four things we should do at the individual level. If we work together, we can make a difference. At the national level, here are the six things. One, we must put a break on funding China, full stop. My friend, Roger Robinson, we've had him in the economic room numerous times, he believes that if we stop funding China, it would rattle the shaky Chinese economy and that could win the war by itself. Now he's got some credibility. Roger directed Reagan's economic warfare that brought down the Soviet Union. This means we have to block the thrift savings plan from investing in China, just like the Trump team did and the Biden team reversed. This means congressional action. This means corporate action. It will require private meetings to pressure and influence. Stop funding China. Larry Fink at BlackRock says, I want to put more money in China. We need to have a private conversation and ask him not to. Now, on February 9th, according to the New York Times, the Biden administration did have plans to curb investments into China. And yet, there are later reports, here's one in Politico, that showed that the Biden administration is scaling back on any plans to reduce investments in China. That's ridiculous. What happened? Well, the Chinese, did they get to him? Bottom line is we must defund China. It's a huge mistake to scale back on what he originally planned. We must sharply curtail and even pull back investments wherever possible. Step number two, we need to root out, expose, and eliminate Chinese infiltration. We gotta listen to Peter Schweitzer. If our politicians are compromised, they have to go. This includes President Biden. Congress must look closely at the Hunter Biden laptop because it certainly appears that the family has been compromised by Chinese money. We have to shut down any and all Chinese influence, particularly at the Confucius Institutes on college campuses or any equivalent. I know they've rebranded them, they may renamed them. And we've got to eliminate Chinese funded research at American institutions. They've been taking our money, putting it back into our institutions. Number three, we need to demand reparations for China for the way they handled the COVID pandemic. Because the virus leaked from a Wuhan lab, which they likely funded, we should get the world to demand that China cover the costs. Now, of course, China's not gonna pay, but at least taking this step will give us the moral courage to push back elsewhere. And in conjunction with steps two and three, we must root out Chinese influence in international organizations like the World Health Organization. That's step number four. It's insane that we would give away our sovereignty to a corrupt group or any foreign group for that matter. America is a separate sovereign nation. Number five, because we know the Chinese plan to attack the dollar, 
we must strengthen the dollar. This means developing proper energy policies. We can no longer afford the pie-in-the-sky green energy policies that fund Chinese solar and wind companies. Instead, we need to build American pipelines and develop our internal energy and export to our allies as they need it. In addition, we need to draft a sensible budget and stick to it. The idea of forgiving hundreds of billions in student loans while increasing transfer payments and offering free money, that's insane when we have $32 trillion in federal debt. We need growth policies while restricting federal spending. Number six, finally, we need to follow the advice of that great Latin phrase, CV pacum parabellum. Roughly translated, it means if you seek peace, prepare for war. This means we must build up our own defenses. We must review our supply chains for industry and replace Chinese components. That's not gonna be easy, but it is necessary. Remember, most of our medicine is now made overseas and we don't manufacture semiconductors and we need rare earth minerals. We're not on a war footing. China is. We've got to get on a war footing and start immediately acting like we're at war and building up those capabilities. And we've got to begin a crash program to prepare, protecting our electric grid from EMP or cyber attacks. Overall, this is going to be a huge undertaking and we haven't much time. But if China sees our resolve, we may actually avert war rather than causing it. Remember peace through strength? It's time for that again. On the individual level, we can make a huge difference as well if we act like the little ships of Dunkirk did at the start of World War II. Here are four steps we should be taking. One, ask yourself right now if you want to be funding China's enemy. The polls show that most Americans do not. And yet, ESG policies clearly favor China. So resolve to stop investing in ESG, environment, social governance that weakens America. Environment's really the Green New Deal of solar and wind to directly fund China. Social weakens American culture. Governance is a quota agenda. Instead, resolve to invest in LSV, liberty, security, and values. How do you do that? That brings us to action step number two. Resolve to get an NSIC-trained financial advisor. NSIC stands for National Security Investment Consultant. We train advisors at Liberty University in an eight-week online course. Our goal is to train 10,000 advisors who would represent $1 trillion of American capital. Polling shows that investors want to support their family and their country as the top two objectives for their investments, but they need help to do so, and the NSIC Institute is our effort to get you the help you need. If you have a financial advisor, stockbroker, CPA, financial planner, insurance agent, send them to us. Learn more at NSIC.org. And if you don't have an advisor, contact us at NSIC.org, and we will try to help you find one. We don't provide investment advice or recommend investments or advisors, but we would love to help you find a professional who can work with you and help you weaponize your money in this unfortunate economic war. Number three, start looking for ways to invest in American innovation. On this program, we featured some amazing patriotic innovations. For example, Lieutenant General Stephen Quast, episode 229, discussed a monster garage in space where we could build satellites for a fraction of the cost of building them terrestrially and then sending them to space. Instead, let's send up the material and build them in space. China's doing that, and we need American innovation there also. The problem is most of the funding offered for his project and others like it has Chinese ties. We need patriotic funding. That's the same for water from air technology we've discussed or artificial intelligence. 
We're working on all of these in the economic war room as shown in episode number 203. Finally, step four is that you also need to prepare your money for the risk of a coming war. If China plans to destroy the US dollar, do you have an alternative? We've been working on transactional gold based on Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. Go back and watch episodes 224 and 192. Our bottom line is that we're developing solutions to problems, and really, you should be watching our shows weekly. I'm thrilled when I meet some of our online economic war room patriots. I'll meet you out, and those of you who've watched the show faithfully and followed the action steps, you're the best informed, the best prepared people in America. We're not an outrage factory, we're giving you solutions. We tackle big problems. We use faith in God and love of family and country. Together we can make a huge difference just like the little ships of Dunkirk. The best way to make certain that you see every episode is to sign up for our free economic battle plans at economicwarroom.com. The bottom line, we're going to war with China very soon. Are you prepared? What we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room. Thank <laughs> you.